love the graphics that they did for this one. That's a really pretty graphic of Ruth. Okay, so we're going to read the first chapter of, of Ruth in today's uh, service as part of the sermon. I'm going to uh, break it up into a few different passages. Right now we're going to read chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Listen, friends, for the word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the author of Ruth. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. When they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilian also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When I was in seminary many years ago now, one of my professors uh, recommended that every preacher acquaint themselves with the art of short story writing. Uh, a sermon, after all, shares some traits with short stories, uh, aside from the fiction part, ideally. It's a very specific gift of short story writing. The author has to convey the plot and the emotion and the character development and the dialogue, all in an economy of words. It requires a very different skill set than other types of writing. And I'm guessing that uh, all of us are familiar with some of the classic examples of short stories. The Gift of the Magi, for example, by O. Henry, is one of the most famous short stories in American literature. I will never miss a chance for a Christmas reference, even in February. <laughs> o. Henry was a master of the art of short story writing, and some of our greatest authors have excelled in this genre. Edgar Allan Poe's The Telltale Heart is one that many of us read in junior high school. Uh, that one very much creeped me out as a seventh grader. Uh, speaking of which, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow is actually a short story by Washington Irving. It's been part of our pop culture for more than two centuries now. Um, this is the poster for the Disney cartoon that was narrated by Bing Crosby, <laughs> which I think is kind of awesome. Uh, that was my first introduction to The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. What makes a good short story so fun to read is that it can tell so much in so few words. And the Bible actually has uh, several short stories that are worth reading and rereading, uh, including our text for our new sermon series. Today we are beginning a three-week series on what I think is one of the most beautiful pieces of literature in Scripture. It's one of the most beloved stories in the Jewish tradition. The book of Ruth, at just four chapters in length, is a masterfully told short story that has a lot more to do, actually, with uh, human relationships than it does with our relationship with God per se, which I think is actually uh, pretty brilliant. The fact that our faith ancestors took human relationships seriously enough to devote an entire book of the Bible talking about them. The book of Ruth is set in the era of the judges. That was uh, before the founding of the monarchy under Saul. It was sometime in the 11th century is probably when this is set, maybe a little earlier. It was probably written during the reign of King Solomon, sometime between 950 and 900 BC, which means that one of the most well-told stories in the Bible is almost 3,000 years old. 
Now, as the story begins, uh, we read about a famine in Judah. A couple and their two sons uh, moved to Moab, just to give you a sense of that movement. It wasn't really all that close from Bethlehem to Moab. At other places in the Old Testament, the Moabites are portrayed negatively, but in Ruth, the Moabites received these refugees from Judah with, uh, with no conflict. And the reason that those names are listed so deliberately in the first five verses are that those names of the characters involved are symbolic. The name Elimelech means something like, my God is king. Uh, so the, the author is telling us that this is a, a faithful family. His wife's name, Naomi, means pleasantness. Uh, that's a name that we're going to hear her change later in our reading for today because just one verse after we learn Elimelech's name, he dies, leaving Naomi as a widow in a strange land. Now, thankfully for her, Naomi has two sons because in those days, in a patriarchal society where women really had no rights, uh, a widow had to depend upon either her male children or other male relatives or the charity of her community, which is why the law of Moses makes very clear that the community of faith has a responsibility to care for widows. They were among the most vulnerable members of society. Over and over again in the Old Testament, we get this refrain, the faith community is uh, commanded, actually, to care for the widow and the orphan and the poor and the stranger, and the widow is usually listed first. Now, unfortunately, uh, Naomi's sons uh, have ominous names. Both of them have ominous names. Malin means weakness or sickness. Killian means annihilation or consumption. And sure enough, just five verses into this story, just three verses after they were introduced, both of the sons die as well. Well-told short stories have a, a brilliant way of conveying a significant amount of information in an economy of words. And the book of Ruth is a brilliant short story. <laughs> Five verses in, we have everything we need to know. We have all the essentials to set the stage for the rest of the tale. A faithful widow is stranded in a foreign land with no means of support. She occupies two of the four most vulnerable categories uh, in the of the members of society. She's a widow and she's a stranger in Moab. So this is Ruth chapter 1, verses 6 through 15. Listen again for God's word. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her, her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you, in the home of your husband, in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb? that may become your husbands. Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you 
because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Amen. In the rabbinic tradition, the, the main theme of this story is the concept of hesed, which is uh, a word that means loyalty or faithful commitment. Another way to translate this uh, word is the concept of loving kindness. It's, it's the word in Hebrew to describe how God relates to God's people. It's the word frequently used to describe God's love and care and faithfulness and loving kindness for God's people. And it's also the word that's used to describe relationships among families and communities. And as we'll see uh, this week and the next couple of weeks, the main characters in this book all demonstrate this cherished trait of loving kindness, loyalty, faithful commitment. Uh, but even more than that, the characters in this story show commitments beyond what would have been required by tradition or custom. It's not just Naomi, who's in a vulnerable position, of course. Her daughters-in-law have better prospects because they're, they're younger and they don't have children yet, uh, but they're still widows in a patriarchal culture. And so Naomi shows her, her loyalty, her loving kindness to them by, by begging them, essentially, to stay in their homeland and remarry because she wants what's best for them. This is a, an image by... Um, an American artist named Kyra Markham from early in the 20th century. Now, Orpah tearfully agrees with this request by her mother-in-law. Orpah uh, means, the name literally means back of the neck, as in what Naomi sees as uh, Orpah is leaving. But she's not a bad person. Um, she's, simply being, uh, she's simply doing what her mother-in-law has requested her to do. She's doing what would have been expected in that place and time. Ruth, whose name probably derives from the word for friend or companion, makes a different choice. And the rest of the story will unfold with these two heroines, the two in the foreground, being an elderly, faithful widow and her non-Israelite widowed daughter-in-law. And these two women will preserve their family against all odds. Ruth is a story about kindness and faithfulness and, and loyalty. Uh, but it's also a story about the relationships we choose, relationships that nurture us, relationships that, that sustain us in life's difficulties, relationships that make life uh, more meaningful. Neither of these women is under any obligation to the other. They are not related by blood. There are no children or grandchildren to consider. The one thing, the one person who initially brought them together is no longer part of their story. And yet, uh, in each other, they find one of those life-giving relationships that every one of us needs. And I love that the authors and the editors of the Bible thought this was an important enough lesson to include it in one of our sacred texts, as one of our sacred texts. And I think uh, that this lesson actually may be as important as Ever in this really tumultuous season of our, of our lives. I, I think about how disrupted the past couple of years have been for all of us for a, a long list of reasons that I'm not 
going to detail. You may have seen last year uh, that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reported that 41.5%, so more than four in 10 U.S. adults exhibited symptoms of anxiety or depression. And globally, uh, an astonishing seven in 10 report that they are struggling or, or suffering in some way. That's according to Gallup. Now, it's really important to say here that those with mental health concerns uh, should absolutely consult mental health professionals for assistance. Uh, therapists and psychiatrists play essential roles in our healing. And it's also true that in the midst of life's challenges and travails, we all need uh, loyalty and faithfulness and loving kindness from the people closest to us, which means that the relationships we choose have to be intentional. They have to be attended to. They deserve our care. Last fall, Northwestern University Medicine published an article about, about why healthy relationships are so important to our well-being. And I know that we all know this intuitively, but the research very consistently uh, backs it up. Dr. Sheehan Fisher, who's a Northwestern medicine psychologist, said this, uh, social support is a very important part of being human, but it's important to not focus on trying to get everything you need from one relationship. Instead, uh, focus on having a network of social support with a variety of different types of relationships to hold up your well-being and quality of life, a network of social support is what every one of us needs. And the article listed uh, five significant benefits from having these healthy relationships, the relationships that we choose, the relationships that we invest in. And those benefits are less stress, uh, better healing, uh, let's see, healthier behaviors, a greater sense of purpose, and even longer life. <laughs> the relationships that we choose matter. We know that, of course. Research supports it in our modern times. And in the first chapter of Ruth, we find that the biblical authors knew that also 3,000 years ago. So let's read some more. It's a very famous exchange now between Ruth and Naomi. This is uh, one, chapter 1, verse 16 through 21. But Ruth said... Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, call me no longer Naomi, call me Mara, it means bitter, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. We had a wedding here in the sanctuary last night. A dear friend of ours from our time at First United Methodist Church of Sherman has moved to our area. Uh, I have um, 
pretty special relationship with his family. I did his uh, son's wedding not all that long ago, and I had the honor of presiding at Joe's wedding last night. The flower altars are from the wedding last night. Uh, he and his wife are going to be joining our congregation. You'll meet them at some point. And the, the text they chose to be read at their wedding was Ruth's famous declaration of loyalty and commitment and loving kindness. It was just a coincidence. They happened to choose it. Where you go, I will go. Your people shall be my people. Your God will be my God. And I think there's this, this beautiful summary in, in reading that text at a, at a wedding. Words originally spoken from a young widow to an old widow at a turning point in both their lives. They are a declaration of this cherished biblical concept of loving kindness. It's a trait that God consistently shares with God's people. It's a trait that we're called to share with the relationships we choose, the people in our lives with whom we choose to be in relationship, loving kindness. Ruth was under no obligation, cultural, religious, familial, or otherwise, to stay with Naomi. It would have been in her self-interest to remain in her homeland, remarry someone from her own culture, and raise a family among her own family. In fact, that's what Naomi begged her to do. It's what her sister-in-law had done, and no one would have judged her. But instead, out of love for the mother of her deceased husband, she became a widowed stranger in a strange land, in a sense, trading social stations with Naomi. We're going to see in the coming weeks that although Naomi feels deep bitterness uh, at this point of the story, at this point of her life, we're going to see how her relationship with Ruth is going to get her through her darkest hour with much brighter days ahead. And to me, while the theme of loyalty, commitment, loving kindness uh, is indeed the foundation of this beautifully told story, it seems to me that the lesson of Ruth is really, really pretty simple. (laughs) that we need relationships in our lives, relationships that embody this essential biblical characteristic. Now, few of the relationships in our lives are going to be quite so dramatic as the story of Ruth and Naomi, of course, but they're all just as important because our our relationships are essential blessings in our lives. They're uh, these healthy relationships that sustain us in our bad times, they're the ones that that nurture us in good times. They're the ones that make life more meaningful in all times. And I'm going to be super specific about this, and it's not going to surprise you that I feel this way, but I really believe that we need church friends. (laughs) We're in a lot of social circles, but church friends are a different kind of friend. We need people in our lives who share our values, who share our theology, and who share life together with us in the community of faith. Over, over the past 20 years in the church, I have witnessed almost every kind of heartache and tragedy you can imagine. Uh, yesterday, it ended with a joyful wedding. It began with the funeral for a child in a sanctuary full of people who, loved the, who love this family, present tense. And I've walked uh, through those heartaches and tragedies both with people who have church friends and with those who don't. And I am absolutely convinced that, that the joys of life are sweeter, that the burdens of life are easier to bear when the relationships we choose include a circle of church friends. 
because these are the ones who, who pray with us. They're the ones who pray for us. They're the ones who call to check in on us. They bring us food when babies are born. They bring us food when somebody's in the hospital. They bring us food when somebody comes back from the hospital. They give us more food than we can eat when one, somebody in our life dies. Like, y'all you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, it's freezers full of food. Like, it's, more, it's about more than the food. I'm a little hungry right now, so I'm focusing on the food. But church friends are amazing for food. And if we're lucky enough to have a, a circle of friends in a Sunday school class or small groups, I'm looking at a whole section of folks here who share that. Uh, these are the folks who are going to read the Bible with us, who are going to grow up with us. We're going to raise our families together. We're going to spend life together. These are the folks who are going to push us in our thinking about the most important things. These are the folks who sit in our pews with us every Sunday, every Easter, every Christmas Eve. These are the folks who serve in mission with us side by side. You get the picture that I'm painting here. And, you know, especially in a large church like ours, I think one of the best ways to connect with others and to, to build relationships is through Sunday school classes or small groups on another night if Sunday morning is not your thing. And if you're looking for one, uh, this is the perfect time <laughs> that we have open house all this month. You can stop by the atrium this morning to learn about our classes. You can talk to Reagan about forming a new group if there's not a class there that strikes your fancy. And if you're online, you can connect with Reverend Paige Christian uh, to join an online group. We have those as well. My point is, however you connect with others in the church, uh, my fervent prayer is that you do. And I, I promise you, it will not take too long before you'll be really glad that you did. I know Naomi was really glad to have one of those. So Naomi returned together with Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, who came back with her from the country of Moab. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And we'll pick up the story from there next week.